For October 25th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 695. Do we go this way? Or do we go that way? It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends who who uh, are never happier than when they're on the internet talking to each other. And I'm your smart, funny friend, Matt. Well, I, you know, I'm your friend anyway. I, I won't make uh, any claims beyond what uh, I won't be, make any claims beyond that. But definitely your friend, Matt. But here's your smart, funny friend, Pete. Hey, Pete, how are you? Matt, you know, I think we might need to do an intervention at some point. <laughs> we we love you, man. You you know, you're you're better oh, than I appreciate you think it. You are. I just I just yeah. don't want to get I, I don't want to get fat headed. You know the the stand up comedian Neil Brennan. Do you know Do you know this person? Yeah, sure. He had a, a, a stand up show on Netflix that was really interesting. It had I like I like uh, I like it sometimes when there's like some staging uh involved mm. and he had this thing this gimmick was three mics and there was one mic down left down center and down right along the edge of the stage one you know way, both corners in the middle and uh at one he told one liners at uh, a second he did stand up material and then at th- the third he did sort of one person show type material where he was like talking about his his uh relationship with his father mostly and that and uh and his um kind of his own kind of mental illness journey and uh what did and didn't work and how all of those things did and he he said something uh, uh interesting once he said he said uh in in that special he said uh i don't have low self esteem i don't have the the architecture i don't have the infrastructure for self esteem i don't have the scaffolding that's necessary to uh to to have self esteem but i'm just trying to be humble pete and just trying to keep my my feet on the ground on the humus you know, the, yeah. the, the, the root word of humble, at least if I am, or the root word of humility, I suppose, is that you're, you're on the humus. You have your feet on the, on the ground, on the dirt, digging my toes, digging my toes into the dirt and, and, uh, thinking about, thinking about stand up, which is, uh, which is back, Pete. Nature is healing. Oh, yeah. Nature is yeah. healing. Or I guess culture is, is healing. Uh, <laughs> after nature, after nature is, is healing. Uh, culture's healing in, in certain ways and perhaps not, <laughs> perhaps fester in others perhaps a festering sickness unto death in other parts of the culture god i'm in a great mood tonight pete I, because i haven't seen any stand-up comedy re- recently have you <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> i have in fact like, this like, is the setup that's wound around this like a creeping vine uh sprouting poison ivy on every direction as your skin just welts and, and blisters <laughs> grab grab hold of it pete grab hold of the vine with both hands and wrestle it into some shape <laughs> yeah, so so I think what you're saying, what you're bringing up is the occasion of actually going out on the town to see a comedy show, which I actually did this weekend. Uh, you've been on it? You've out. been on the town? Uh, I think so. The Bronx was up and the battery was down. Is that, oh, so was that, is that New York, New York? I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, I, I went I was invited by some friends who had an extra ticket at, at the relatively last minute to go and see a stand up comic I was unacquainted with. And I and I talked to my wife about it and she said that you should socialize because you've been trapped in this house for a year and a half and it's important. <laughs> and so I went and socialized and I went and saw a show and I wanted to talk about it with you. Not necessarily the show, just the show per se, but just the whole the whole experience of it as a as a cultural experience, right? Yeah, I've so I've had some like excellent 
live performance experiences and I, I have had uh, some challenges in the live performance experience um, uh, thing. And, and uh, I've, I've recently bought some more concert tickets. So I, I definitely have uh, definitely have opinions on, on this front. So, so got it. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the everything around everything, but the show show. Uh, so what, yeah. uh, how, I mean, how was it? What did, did you did you drive to downtown? Did you like drive to the uh, drive to the train and then take the T into Boston, or like what? You know, how did you? Were you brave enough for public transportation under you know? Given that we that we are in the 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 what the uh, the postseason that championship postseason. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So with regards to transportation, the thing. So I live about twenty miles outside of a city that thinks it's a major city right? Uh-huh. that isn't a major city i live i live about 20 miles outside the undersized urban core of a major metropolitan area got it right where where the housing is all too expensive because um uh because financing is very easy and inflation is very high and also there's just not a lot of land you, to be had know, what what, um, what you what you lack in size or not not you since you live outside of it but what that what that city lacks in size it it makes up for with a uh, extremely devoted uh, fan base um, yeah, nearly fanatical devotion to the Pope, right? <laughs> nearly, among, our chief, among our chief weaponry are <laughs> flipping cars over, setting bonfires in the streets. I, uh, I, I had occasion to travel to, to Boston for work related reasons on the, uh, the day of the ALDS, the last game that the, mm. that the Sox played in the, in the ALDS. And it just so happened that, uh, my taxi landed at my hotel right in the shadow of of Fenway in the in the very shadow Pete like across the street um in, right as the the final game was was getting out and and let me tell you it was a pleasure Pete to navigate the streets of Boston as tens of thousands of Red Sox fans were streaming into her thoroughfares and avenues because uh if if uh if Boston sports fans are anything they are uh, docile and yes. <laughs> they are law abiding and right. uh get, you know uh even even the small laws like uh not walking against a red light they observe scrupulously and yes. so uh being in being in a taxi among them among a sea of them was was an unmixed pleasure so how did you how did you find your way into this thriving metropolis so you can add to the list of things that have changed that don't get mentioned right i feel like there are things that have changed because of what has happened during the championship season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, for those who are not familiar, that's our term for the extended period of disruption, of, of acute disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Uh, that championship, because it's not locked down because you're probably not actually locked down. It's not quarantined because you're probably not quarantined. Uh, but it's also not during COVID because obviously being a virus, it, you know, it doesn't just cease to exist when its uh, season is up, such like Firefly would, right? Um, <laughs> so, so that's that's what we call it, the championship season, uh, glibly, right? One of the consequences of it that I don't hear people talk about a lot is that the public transit calendar is much reduced, Yeah. right? So much, mo- most of my public transit options are very reduced or gone. So, for example, there used to be a bus that I used to be able to take into town. It mm. is entirely canceled. Um, the, oh during on Saturday night, there is a period of three hours where there are no trains. Um, and then there is a period of seven hours where there are three trains. Um, and that's both ways. So 
I did not take the train, both because it didn't fit the schedule. I would have had to get on a train leaving before five o'clock to arrive there by seven. And it, you know, gets there in 45 minutes. Um, But also just like I don't want to deal with that kind of risk. Right. If I Mm. miss my train, I'm stuck there for three hours. Um, I drove. Right. Because I have to have a car because where I live. Actually, interestingly enough, my car is in the shop because the uh, transmission hoses rotted out and the uh, transmission may or may not have failed, which means my car may or may not be dead. So um, but wait, a little th- tip th- for everybody. It, it, it rotted out from from underuse through lack of use or just because just because that's a thing that happened. I think Patrick Stewart wrote a script about it and they just it's just rotted off and it was too late. He'd seen everything. He'd seen uh, everything. <laughs> no, I don't know exactly what happened. I mean, I live in a place with a lot of rough weather and salt. And so things deteriorate. The car is about 10 years old. So, I mean, I don't drive the car a lot, you know, but I drive the car at least once or twice a week. And so it's possible that it was from underuse. It's possible that it just should have been replaced at some point, And I just wasn't doing the maintenance uh, as often because I wasn't hitting the miles or it's possible that it's the kind of thing that they just didn't, they just didn't notice. Right. And that, you know, if you just don't notice it and your, your tube gets clipped or unhooked or an animal eats into it or something, mm. uh, you're, you're all of a sudden your transmission fluid is spilling all over your driveway and your car won't bite into gear. Um, and so if that, that, so I would say, if you are worried about an older car, you know, make sure the next time you bring it in for service, have them check the hoses, right? Because mm-hmm. replacing a hose is cheap. Replacing a transmission is not cheap. Um, so I hope that my car pulls through. Of all of all of the things that have been happening uh, that are catastrophic, that is not the most dire or important, but it would be a real pain if it didn't. Because yeah, um, sure. as you know, by virtue of driving a 10-year-old car, you know that I, I don't really have a whole huge bucket of money to dump into another car. Uh, but then again, you know, then again – I would say then again, who does? But I'd be like, actually, a lot of people, the world has been generating a lot of money for a lot of people. This is, this is not, I mean, I guess this is something that people are talking about, I suppose. But why is no one talking about the problem with cars right now, Pete? Why is no one talking about it? He oh, says, you mean the, the whole supply chain and the cost of used cars being so insane right he now? He says, he says talkingly. Um, yeah. yeah. And that like, um, that, right. That the new cars, used cars. I actually, I, I know someone. I well, actually, well, why am I being coy? It's my dad. I actually talked talk to my dad, who is a um, just through uh, through sort of a, a low score on materialism, like uh, drives a a very old car, and um, and w- was like, hey, we have these like. 20 25 year old cars maybe we should uh, he, uh, he and his wife my stepmom maybe we should have one new car and they were looking at new subarus a, a topic which should be near and dear to your heart and apparently there are none they were like yeah we talked we we talked to several dealers and they said no there there are no cars <laughs> there are <Yeah>. no <laughs> there, we have no cars for you no one has any cars it's like does someone else have no no one there's no there's no cars anywhere and uh and used cars equally insane um i mean they're they're there because they exist already but the uh the price of them is and and if you want to lease you you're going to get you know 30, 40% less car for your lease, uh, that, you know, than you would before the championship, before the team won the championship, you know, (laughs) (laughs) when we were still getting first round draft picks, that's, um, you know, that's, that's rough. 
Like that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's real. That's real and impacts people's lives. And I'm sorry, I just used impact as a verb. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be quiet now. What, what were you going to say about, about so, cars and that, cha- and that the, the main thing season? is that I, I borrowed my wife's car. I see. So, so I went to a child's second birthday party, which was delightful, mm-hmm. uh, on that afternoon. And then after we got home, I borrowed my wife's car and she encouraged me to drive it into the city. Mm. So um, the way the city is built, it's much easier to go all the way into the city than it is to go sort of partway into the city. I don't Mm. know if you're – which is strange because I'm – I grew up around New York City and New York City is designed to make it easy to drive to the outside of it, Mm -hmm. right? Or at least to drive into Manhattan, right? To drive into the outer ring of Manhattan, right? Whereas in – with Boston – the highways kind of slice right into the center of the city. There's a sort of nexus, which is where you find Captain Kirk chopping wood and calling Jeter homophobic slurs. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, like the big the major highways go deep into the city and you don't want to get off at the wrong spot because then you end up having to turn around and it takes forever and there's lots of one way streets. So you have to it's like the Top Gun video game. You have to plot your land on the aircraft carrier very carefully. I definitely um, I, I definitely had that experience recent in my my recent video visit. I was I was going from from the airport to, you know, Fenway and and there, it was an elaborate series of tunnels, and there were some very consequential, like cutoffs, some very consequential decisions you make about which tunnel you're going to go in. And like, the, it didn't seem like there was a place to turn around. It seemed like you nope. were, if you had, if you chose the wrong, you know, uh, like uh, like Indy, you know, faced with all of the uh, faced with all of the goblets, you know, it, it's like he chose poorly <laughs> yeah you can get stuck you might have to drive for miles and miles <laughs> and, yeah. mi- and miles to go before before you sleep but you made Indeed. it you made it into the center of the city yeah. and well because my know. strategy has been not necessarily to try to find the best way to get to where i'm going but to have a place that i reliably go to every time where i'm pretty sure i can park my car and and then which I will I will not disclose just in case somebody listening to this wants to destroy my car for some reason. Although you're too late, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just destroy my wife's car. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I have a reliable place where I like to park my car, and so I just always drive there, and then I go from there to wherever in the city I need to go, mm. uh, usually by walking. So not necessarily by the T. I've been on the T a couple times before the Delta variant. Mm. Uh, I was on the commuter rail a few times before the Delta variant. But mm. once the Delta variant kicked in, I haven't really been riding the train or the T. Also, the trains, obviously, as I mentioned, trains much less frequent. But at mm. any rate, I went into the city to see a comedy show. And that's yep. how I went in. I, I went in in my car. Um, and of course, one of the things that's also happened during the championship season is that people got used to parking being much more available because mm. fewer people were going into the city. And right. so um, – the, the the sort of uh, I don't know I, I this is a whole topic I don't particularly want to get into so I probably shouldn't even say anything but I will say that you can very clearly see the big market incentives that affect people's transportation choices uh, that are much much more powerful than the uh, the sort of um, uh, deliberate and purposeful decision making that people might make mm-hmm. about how to live their lives mm-hmm. right so like you have to you have to the thing that never gets discussed with transportation is where you're going. Right. It's like you have to go somewhere and uh, and you're going to have to get there however you get there um, one way or the other. So uh, or else you just don't go. And and uh, I suppose that is a, a tautology. Um, you have to go where you're going or you won't get there or you won't go or you won't be yeah. going to that place. You have to go where you're exactly. going or else you're not going to that place. Exactly. But the, it is worth noting that I missed 
the pre-show dinner. And that's notable because we're going to be talking about sort of the experience of the Verfremdungs effect of going out in the city after the championship season, right? The alienation that takes place from the things that used to be routine right. uh, and, and, the, and the new eyes that you get to see your old frustrations with. Mm. Um, so I, of course, because I was at aforementioned uh, birthday party for aforementioned uh, two-year-old. Celebrated child, yes, mm-hmm. uh, the, a golden child, if you will. Uh, I want the knife, please. And uh, and yeah, and so there was a certain time I was only going to be able to leave at a certain time, so I knew that I was going to make the show, but not the uh, dinner. So I missed the food. Um, got it. And so, but I got to see the show, and so uh, that was exciting. Now, I, I guess I should pause here, Matt. Have you had to do anything analogous to this? I mean, I guess in Los Angeles, you're never not doing this, right? You're never not driving your car into the heart of something. It's sort of like. It's like in that early Kevin Sorbo Hercules movie where he has to cut through all the membranes and squeeze the monster's heart. Like every direction is just towards the the middle, right? There's no there's no way you can go that's not towards more guts. Um, but uh, I don't know what what is. Have you had to drive into the city? In Peter, a way are, you, that you have- are, you, are you familiar with the uh, the 1970? Uh, sorry, 1970, 1987. Sorry, I got okay. my, my numbers backwards. Uh, Martin uh, Dennis Quaid, Martin Short vehicle, inner space. Am I? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> uh, And so you're talking about going, uh, you know, going into the heart of the city, as though I don't live w- within the heart of the city. Um, and anyway, like, uh, oh right, like the the sort of the way of Los Angeles is that it's this, it's this sort of, uh, um, I don't know, super, uh, super Hieronymus Bosch esque um, thing of like seven or eight hearts, kind of like uh, sutured together with uh, you know one aorta leading into a, a different uh, ventricle or uh, whatever. So it's a you're never not in a heart, um, and so it's really navigating navigating the beating current, the the currents that uh, you know propel you from one chamber to another through one uh, long vessel. And, and, uh, and down another. But yeah, I, I mean, it has, I, I definitely like one way you can mark my consciousness of the, of the effect, the kind of the social or economic effect of that championship season is the traffic in Los Angeles, right? Because there, there was a time, uh, early on where it was, um, it was like ghost town quiet, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it and we, everyone remarked how clear the air was. <laughs> You know, how, how, uh, how visible the, the mountains were, um, and how, uh, how empty, empty the freeways were. No, the air wasn't that good because, you know, though it, it wasn't the, um, it wasn't the traffic jam that we have now. There's still, you know, forever just, uh, tanker trucks burning crude, uh, tanker trucks, tanker, tanker ships burning crude oil, um, you know, lined up, uh, five deep, uh, you know, long line of them uh, outside the port of Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach, where, you know, 300% of all goods imported into the United States are, are uh, you know, are disembarked or loaded into the, loaded into the, the trucking, loading from the shipping system into the trucking system. And uh, so we, we have a, a, you know, noxious cloud of, of, uh, of fumes of oil fumes and smog hovering over us at all, all the time it's not related to the bad traffic, but related to, uh, related to the supply chain. Yeah. But the, the, um, early on the kind of the eerie, 
the eerie desertion of the streets has given way to, you know, uh, sort of a step change every few months in in traffic levels, each of which we note by saying, gosh, it's traffic is like, it's, it's bad. Uh, yeah, traffic today is bad. Like, uh, like a Tuesday afternoon or, you know, traffic today is bad. Like a Friday morning. Oh God. Traffic today is bad. Like a, like a holiday Monday. That's terrible. This is, this is, uh, this is inhuman. How did anyone, how did anyone ever live with, with any of this stuff? Um, I was out, out of town this weekend and that's why, uh, that's why I'm, I'm particularly particularly hurting but yeah we've we've uh we've we've traveled around and i i feel like our you know uh, uh my girlfriend and i my our um risk tolerance we have a different risk profile uh than you do because we don't have kids right and so without unvaccinated members of of the household um you know our the calculus of like risk reward uh is slightly different than, than it is for all of my friends who have, uh, who have children. And so we're, we're willing to do, uh, we're willing to do certain things like, you know, go to concerts, for example, that we were, that we might think twice about if we were in a, um, in a different, uh, you know, in a different kind of, if we had a different risk profile, though, you know, everyone's calculation of these things is, is, um, is ever so slightly different. And, and we've done, you know, so we've done, we've done several, uh, at, you know, at the, like, um, well, I don't know what kind of comedy show were, were you at? Were you at a, a club, a, a small, like low ceilinged basement club with 40 people type of comedy show? Or were you in a, a, you know, a big arena? Was it in Fenway? Was it a, was it, you know, Steve Martin in his prime playing Fenway for tens of thousands of people? Or was it something in the middle? It was in the middle. It was at the Wilbur Theater. Uh, which is one of the theater district theaters, one of the old venues that still has a very nice crafted proscenium where you might go see a touring company show, um, though you would generally see they have stand ups, they have musicians. Uh, but there's, you know, there's like Statler and Waldorf balconies. The chairs are still uncomfortably near each other and small. Right. Everything's wood. So it's it's an old playhouse. That's Maybe neat. a vaudeville theater. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's it's nice. A, yeah, that is that's really neat. It's interesting that because that, you generally have one of two modes, right? Like you have the performing arts center mode where you get a lot of touring things, you know, and mm-hmm. and and you know, touring acts are booked by their bookers in one or two night engagements, um, and you know, you can buy the the like the lecture series or the like the I don't know the the virtuoso violinist series or the uh you know whatever the the um old old timey country music series right or their their uh theaters where like the touring company of Hamilton might sit down for for a couple of weeks or or several months I guess in in larger markets but like uh this is this is both you say both the the Wilbur Theater, um, not just a not just a concert venue, not just a, a performing arts center, not just a place where you might you, you might go see Ian McKellen play King Lear on tour. <laughs> you'd you'd more likely see Weird Al Yankovic play. I think I, that was at the Wang, which is the other theater that's similar to it in the same area that's well known. Um, but yes, exactly. You you might see any number of things. 
uh, you would not be surprised if you were to see that there was a play playing there that you would expect there to be a musician or a stand up comic uh, just by virtue of which theater it is in the theater district, which is pretty small. So I've had um, I've had um, um, kind of like a bimodal, a bimodal distribution of experiences doing this. One of my favorite venues to see things in L.A. is Largo. Um, which is a, you know, a sort of storied nightclub type of venue where they do, uh, music and stand up and some improv comedy as well. And, uh, they're, they're, um, it's about a 200 person venue. They, they, they disallow and stringently police their prohibition. Thank goodness on cell phones and like talking during the show and stuff like that. It's a, it's a, a crowd that's really, there to to appreciate to enjoy and appreciate the um the stuff that they you know stuff that they're doing stuff that they're they're there to see uh and there uh what i found is that mask compliance is like really um you know high right uh oh yeah oh yeah it was utterly mandatory everybody was wearing masks it was a very high compliance for sure and then then um i we went to uh we went also to a uh like a country music concert in uh in a venue that was the theater at the ace hotel which is in downtown la which is i think about a 1200 seat venue uh so much you know much larger and more diffuse it's not like really a community the way like patrons of largo are for sure a you know a community and and like view themselves that way and there um the attitude was like hey i bought a i bought a plastic cup full of warm beer at the concession stand you know uh, an hour and a half ago and so i am still technically quote unquote eating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and um you know like the and and that the the compliance was pretty uh was pretty poor pretty spotty like really islands um islands of compliance in in a sea of in a sea of the unwashed and that uh i you know i find like i don't know i i find i'm really struggling with that or like i've you know i've had to travel a little bit for work or i've you know i've been able to travel for work i should say a little bit recently and and uh you know i find my my level of tolerance my level of like uh of um acceptance of my fellow man is really down down in negative numbers pete it's really down in the in the the uh, to say it's in the toilet would be a, an insult to toilets it's in it's in the sewer and like not a nice new it's in the you know the old sewer that that is crumbling but for the water pressure of you know poop kombucha which you know ke- keeps it uh, uh, keeps it open. That's where my my tolerance for any like slipping <laughs> slippage, any nose slippage, uh, is. And I I just don't uh, I just don't understand people. But this is probably not this podcast. It's probably it's probably for a different pod, a different podcast for another time. But I've I found that like my my enjoyment of cultural events or things you know restaurants you know other thing things that I've done has to do with the 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 sense i feel safe there but it's not just that it's it's a sense that you know um uh a sense that that people are kind of pulling together you know that there that there's a sense of of um comedy <laughs> uh of you know of purpose of of like uh 
of every like everyone doing their part of kind of like we're we're in this together you know and and i i find that that's so fragile and so easy so easy to break maybe i don't know maybe just for me so i'm i'm glad to hear that at the in the the high wooden seats the high uncomfortable wooden seats of the wilbur theater in boston um people were everyone was sort of doing their part and kind of like not just paying lip service but also like a, you know a, a great abiding by the yeah. agreements that they made uh when they you know passed the passed the slapdash uh 11 by eight and a half um inkjet printed sign that was scotch taped to the window as they walked into the theater <laughs> i mean at least i hope they were it was dark but <laughs> <laughs> and they were when we were all going in so i hope so i you know it's, i thinking about it now i'm like man i was very cavalier about that but you know it's I wasn't very cavalier about it. There was I had my vaccine card because I expected that to be checked on the way in. It wasn't. But, you know, our masks were very, you know, there were signs and people telling us stuff and we were all searched and stuff. So uh, but anyway, not to dwell on that. Um, but uh, but but OK. So one of the other notable things about this visit that I think was interesting in terms of thinking about the championship season and how it affects us is that this was not a show I planned to go to. This was a show I was invited to by a friend who had an extra ticket the day before. And as such, I didn't know the comic. I didn't know any of the comics. I didn't mm. know who they were. Mm. I had no basis for knowing their work. I did not prepare. <laughs> right. And I don't necessarily think these were comics that I would have gone to go see. I certainly would never. I think there's maybe one time I ever went to see maybe once or twice in the past 10 years. Have I gone to go see a stand up comic? that I had no personal relationship or affinity with like voluntarily. Mm. Right. Because I got to go to so many, I went to so, so, so many comedy shows for friends that I just wouldn't go to the shows for people that I didn't have some sort of social relationship with. It just was, there was no point. Right. Because I, I already had my time budgeted. Um, now maybe that means I learned less that's possible, but you know, it's uh, we all try our best, but yeah. So, so I got to see, a, a, ra- a show that I so I feel like during the championship season, one of the other things that kind of changed is the question has been posed to you of what you really like mm. and what you really like to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's been a narrowing of experience down to the things that you like, maybe part, maybe informed perhaps by the extra amount of online time people have been spending where optionality and the illusion of control are so important, right? Mm. Uh, you know, as, as communicated by optionality, maybe just because stress has reduced our overall capacity to focus on many things at once. Maybe it's just that we don't have the moments of serendipity that come from hanging out organically with people in person. And even when you're talking over a conference call, you don't get to have those moments as much uh, in terms of discovering what you're doing after you've decided to do it. Mm. Um as it were. So, so this was an interesting, the, the caprice of it felt. Yeah. The spontaneity, right. The idea, you know, the idea that, that a kind of a rogue opportunity would come up and, you know, which I, I, partly that's getting older though. Right. Like, Mm, isn't it? Because we're not, you know, I don't know where maybe, maybe you are, but I'm not in the city, like in the same way as once I was where, you know, I, I was just in the way of opportunity, you know, now it's, now it is sort of effortful to leave, you know, it, someone has to watch the dog. I have to, you know, provide for the dog. That's, you know, that's the main difference is is that I have a dog. <laughs> yeah, that is the big thing that's changed. Yeah, for I sure. Suppose. But, I mean, it's weird because I think, well, it's been such a long time at this point that most people have probably gone through or would have gone through some sort of major personal change 
during the time period since the champion season changes champion season began. And so it's not one thing. It's a synergistic relationship one way or the other between whatever it is that's been happening to you that would have happened anyway. And then the things that are happening to you that wouldn't have happened anyway. Mm -hmm. So for example, right? Like we moved to the suburbs, had a baby and COVID Mm. all at the same time. Right. And so, uh, you know, that's, uh, (laughs) that that's, a life, a life crowded with incident. As so what Lady, I'm saying is that Lady COVID Brackle made me watch that. a lot of Raffi, right? It's uh-huh. that COVID is really responsible for me uh, getting puke on myself all the time. Yep. Um, that's that's really what it is. That it's, my interest in whether another human being poops or not has greatly increased because of uh, buying a house in the suburbs. It's it's all you know. There's a lot of ice cream and uh, swimming fatalities correlations, right? Yeah. Uh, where we don't know what the thing is that's really causing it, but we kind of do. But yes, I hear what you're saying. Being old is part of it. And um, I do think that where you are were in your life when the championship season began because of the way amygdala, the amygdala works is going to really color a lot of your attitudes just about humanity because you will remember so much more clearly and crisply the things that were happening when you were super stressed out right. than, than uh, when you were just regular stressed out. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Yeah. No, real talk. That makes a that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So you didn't have you 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 hadn't eaten you or maybe you'd right. eaten some cake. You know? No, I didn't get any cake. It was what? my second. It was my second kid birthday party in a row where I didn't get any. But cake. Pete, you described this party as a success, and I would say oh, there that there was cake. There was cake. Uh-huh. I just didn't, now keep in mind, just uh, none for Pete. Well, there was lots of cake, but none, none for Pete. Oh, Pete, we're all enjoying our cake, but there's no cake for you, Pete. <laughs> okay, so hopefully Sounds you're cruel. Always, Sounds I mean, cruel it's, to it's me. It's crazy, right? We're adults. Do we really care about cake that much? Um, and and so I actually had that experience while departing the party, where I said, you know, I, I, I've learned, you know, being married, and you learn about about marriage and how your marriage works and how you work with other people, hopefully, if you're paying attention over time. And I learned that when something is bothering me that much, I really should talk about it, even if it's really stupid. Yep. And in this case, I just I just felt really miffed and passed over because our, our leaving the party, I mean, our kiddo was crying, he was upset, and also, uh, you know, he was tired. He'd been there a long time. We'd arrived early. Uh, and also, you know, my wife was concerned with getting home in time for me to be able to take the car to go into the city. So it was for me, which is part of what made it so stupid. But, uh, but then it's like, oh, we're leaving just as the cake is coming out. And there's this notion that if we stay for the cake, like we sing happy birthday, we give our well wishes and then we leave. If we stayed for the cake, the kid would have gotten all messy with cake and it would have taken a real long time to get him cleaned up and out the door Um. and, um, or, you know, it's an outdoor party. So, you know, back in the car. So we didn't, she brought a cupcake for him, but there's not like, oh yeah, let's take a piece of cake for the adults because you don't really assume the cake is for the adults, even though they had a separate cake for the adults. And so I said that on the way home, I said, I feel really stupid. I feel like I shouldn't be upset about this, but I am. And so I'm going to say it so you know what's going on. Uh, this is the second kid's birthday party we've gone to and the second one where I didn't get any cake. Uh, and it makes me feel like melted from office space. <laughs> I was assured that I would have a piece. Uh, and it's dumb because I'm I'm already way too overweight 
and and was before the championship season and definitely am now and i don't need cake yeah but it's Um, not it's not even it's not you know like when 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 you have brushes with the infantile you know what i mean like (laughs) you you shouldn't be surprised when like super regressed parts of your own personality emerge right and like that they're very like that they're very primal like uh, 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 around, you know, like, is there food for me? You know, will I, will mm. I be fed? And like, uh, and, and pri- like reptilian, reptilian feelings about, about scarcity and hoarding and, and jealousy and things like that. And if, you know, if as you're like locking the doors on the, you know, if as you're, you're buckling your kid into the car seat and like locking the doors on the car and pulling out of the parking space, you see being paraded in front of you tantalizingly a, <laughs> you know, a big old sheet cake from the stop and shop. Like that's, that's, it's going to touch something primitive. It's going to touch something really deep within yeah. you, you know? Probably a similar sort of part of your primate soul, your lizard brain or whatever you want to call it, as the part where you feel like the people at the country music concert aren't looking out for you, aren't sort of part of your team yeah. because they're not wearing masks, right? It's sort of a self-identification slash, you know, uh, you know, is this person part of the tribe kind of feeling. Sort of, yeah, group, group yeah. membership, like, a, a, you know, a series of kind of rituals that, that – you know, uh, individually don't mean that much, but like, uh, taken together, make you feel what sort of safe and like welcomed kind of belonging, you know, yeah. like, uh, a sense of, a sense of group membership. So I, I, and then I, I also, I am totally, I am totally with you in this, this sort of feeling of like, Oh, God damn it. I didn't want that. I don't want that. You know, that I want a piece of cake, but then it's like, you're like, you're mad about it. And then you think about it and it's like, wait, I, do I really want a, a you know, a, like a, a white cake, like a sheet cake from the stop and shop, you know, this <laughs> no. is, this is not, yeah, I, do, I totally don't. Right. Like this right. is not like an, an $80, you know, German torta from, the from the like good bakery you know with the, the like Jurgen have yeah, not touched it yeah, the hands of Jurgen have not touched this cake like you know yeah th- this is not something that that like i i would choose to have um get you know get, given any kind of agency in the matter but but if there was cake i want you know i want I want some some cake, but you you must have been hungry pete then how did you how did you slake your hunger okay so so after the show, I managed I had eaten a late lunch, so I was OK. I was OK to get through the show. But actually, by the end, I was I was flagging. I was nodding off a little bit. Um, I will say uh, before getting to the food part, which I think is interesting and and part of the overall investigation of what is different that we might not have noticed, what is different, what isn't different, but we notice it differently. I will say that the comedian made a really good point. Uh, while he was discussing with us what was going to happen in the show at one point, which is that he said that most of the jokes would have been tested at a series of open mics. But his, uh, you know, you you write the joke on Monday, you test it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you perform it on Friday. Uh, but for him, Monday was March of last year. Right. right. So he, he hasn't had the opportunity to test a lot of the jokes. And so some of the sort of macro 
arcs of the show did not land with me at all. And during those, I felt particularly hungry, flagging, couldn't really breathe, felt like I wanted to pass out. Right. Like it was it was it felt like I wanted to go to sleep. And one of the good things about wearing a mask is that you can yawn during somebody's show and you can be confident that nobody. Oh, is looking yeah, at it's you. great. Isn't um, it? And so I yawned and I yawned and I yawned. And I, I think he would have understood and appreciated. Maybe it would have even been useful feedback for me to say, yeah, that whole 10 minutes, just don't do it. Is not <laughs> but the stuff before it and after it was great, right? Like, uh, but that part, nah, it didn't work. You probably, if you had a chance to test it more, you'll probably already determine that you don't want to be talking about it. Yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a section about a very mangy cat that lived at a house that he inherited uh, before he moved there, and he, of, of uncertain provenance, and the cat's complicated health problems, which uh, had funny punchlines at the very end. But throughout the description of the cat's thyroid problems, there was a long period of time where not much of it was particularly funny. I suppose it might be funny if you were more callous than I am about the health problems of cats. Aww. But it was sort of like, oh, this is just sad. And they felt but, – but a bunch of the show felt like that where I was like, oh, this is – there was a lot of processing of grief. There was a lot of processing of pain. And some of it just wasn't funny. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the comedian even called this out because there were times we would say something and everybody would clap and he'd say, no, 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 don't clap. Right. I don't want your agreement. And I would say, oh, man, I, how was the comedy show? It was great. I sat there for an hour and agreed with everything they said. He's like, no, that's not my job. My job is to make you laugh. That's right? a uh, that's a that's a Stuart Lee joke. For sure. No to speak of another thing. Well, I don't know if he stole it. I, I'm not sure that that people are really aware of who Stuart Lee is, the British stand-up. <laughs> he that also I, might not have said it the same that way. I like I like yeah. very much. But he he uh, when people <laughs> when people clap when people clap at his shows, he yeah. says, "Don't ah, that's that's what I that's what I wanted. I I don't I don't want to make people laugh. I want to create a uh, a temporary mass liberal consensus yes, that yes. Uh, <laughs> you know that evaporates on contact with air. You know, did yeah. you go? Did you go to the stand-up comedy? Yes, I did. Was it good? No, but I agreed the heck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that's, but yeah. that's, I mean, that is, it is funny. And like, I think it has to do with the, 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 like the clapping, the weird, you know, the, the, the kind of the instinct of clapping of like, it's, it's almost, they may as well be clap emojis, you know, that like, uh, um, Oh, like, uh, yes, thank you for taking that bold, brave stance about how mangy cats are, are you know, un- unpleasant. <laughs> you know, I, w- I will say, yes. for, all the, <laughs> for all the sort of ceaseless talk of controversy and bad behavior in yeah. stand-up comedy, there was virtually nothing in this entire show, three different comics, that was, like, objectionable in the way that people seemed to be having a problem with it. Yeah. Right? Like, people seemed to, and it also was plenty edgy, right? People seemed to be capable of talking about plenty of edgy upsetting difficult things without saying stuff that was uh hot button enough to piss everybody off um it was a little bit too much on this they got a little bit too into death to the point where i actually got really despondent at one point and i don't Uh. think anyone was laughing um but uh that's the kind of stuff he'll workshop well that's i mean (laughs) so i i think this is interesting like the the way so certain cultural institutions and like gatherings are back and certain ones aren't, right? And so like mm. the, the big ticket things are back. The, the, um, the big shows in, you know, multi thousand seat theaters are, 
uh, are back by and large, but the clubs aren't back. Right. And then right, you know, yes. that's, that's probably good because like, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't seem quite as easy to kind of police good public health practices. And like, it wouldn't be good for all of us. It wouldn't be good for, you know, the society communally. If we had these, these pockets of these, you know, dank fetid basements, dark, low ceilinged, moist comedy clubs, you know, dripping with the funk of, of decades, you know, down there and people, people saying their, their offensive things or their, their, you know, death obsessed, uh, things and working out their material, you know, as they do (laughs) working out, working out their material. Right. And because that, because that plankton level isn't, and like I, I always feel like the the agreement, the tacit agreement in those places is like don't don't record. Like this didn't happen. This is oh, just between us. You know, agreement. you should not be recording. It is like a major issue of stand up etiquette. Do not record a stand up show um, without the express permission. Of sure, the I mean, well, it's it's illegal, you know, and it it violates the rights of the it violates the rights of the stand up. But I even think like don't don't tweet about like don't relate this in in the way that i'm always i'm always shocked when like uh when the nfl and the super bowl puts up that because the super bowl is the one football game i watch every year puts up that that card the title card that says like uh you know video photographs and accounts of the game are the property (laughs) of the nfl and it's like accounts of the game but i feel like accounts of the set are the property of the stand-up comedian at that level and when it's at but when it's touring theaters or when it's been been taped for a special like that's that's different you can like tell someone about uh or you can like write a think piece or whatever about about the stand up set at at that point because it's gone public but like it's you know that that level of like um and you, you generally get like more specialist crowds at those at those yeah. kinds of pla- yeah. at those kind of smaller scale kinds of places and everyone understands the the role of it like you get to see you get to see something that's neat it might not be as entertaining per se as what the like the finished polished hour ends up being but it is yeah if you're into stand up comedy kind of like seeing the process through which it is good. Uh, it is, uh, uh, generated and the good separated from the bad. You know, that's probably interesting to you. You know, the same way oh, it yeah. might be if you're really into a musician, it might be interesting to hear their bad songs, you know, yeah. like, and, yeah. and people like people who are like heavily, who have like really deep catalogs, like Dylan is someone who comes to mind or the Beatles, you know, like they're people who like, you know, every variant version of everything, every studio outtake, like they pour over these these things and it's like these these are bad these songs are bad it's like yeah but they're fascinating to me right and like and that so that that comedy club level like it's gone right now you know it's not it it doesn't it doesn't happen and that's like yeah that's that it's it's interesting because it has an effect on the the quality of the material like the you know the idea that like we that that something needs to be tested needs to be kind of like it needs to be you know proven in the in the fire uh <laughs> you know before it's before it's ready ready to show and then that, that like that that's not that that's not available anymore i mean did it feel uh, other than some of the material just not landing because it hadn't been you know, uh, w- uh, workshopped enough. Like, did it feel looser? Did it feel, I don't know, sort of somehow more like conversational or experimental? Or was it just that, like, it was in all respects a, a stand up, uh, uh, 
you know, uh, average expectable stand-up show, except some of the material just hadn't been, some of the material just didn't pass muster. So, okay. First of all, I want to uh, correct one thing, or at least add a little bit of something. The reason that you don't record, I think this is worth knowing because I found it really interesting when I found out. The reason you don't record random stand-up sets in underground clubs is because the stand-ups, of course, are doing it for money almost all the time, right? I'm not not always at the open mics, but in general, you should assume that a stand-up comedian is doing it for money. And if there's a video of their work out there, somebody's going to see the video uh, that might be in a potential position to employ this person, right? And the issue is not necessarily that you're going to get them at a time when they weren't funny, though that's a, an issue. The more interesting issue is that you might take a video where the audience isn't mic'd. And if the audience in, in a stand up in a stand up venue that somebody is using for their reel or whatnot, you're going to want to mic the audience so that you can actually hear that people were laughing when they're doing it as dem- dem- demonstrating that they can do their job. Right. It's a very old school way of thinking about the profession. But I've enc- at least the people I've talked about, it still very much rely on it. So if you are interested in, in the next time you watch a stand-up special or a stand-up clip of somebody's reel or something on YouTube, listen to, for the laughter and then think, where's the microphone that's picking up that laughter? Remember that most sure, microphones I mean, I are know. directional. If right? you're doing like, it, if you're doing it on your phone, you're picking up the whole, you know, you're, you're, you're not, don't, don't say no, no, I know what I'm talking about. You're not getting it, Matt. <laughs> you're not going to get, not the way that the stand-up comedians want to get it. I know this cause I've been privy to very heated disputes that even borderline went to lawsuits, right? So like, you know, listen to me on this one. All right. That don't record a standup set and assume you're going to be getting the quality of recording that the standup comment is going to rely on to get their employment. Right. I, I think that's, I think what, what you've described is why a standup might not want you to record their set. I'm not or sure that's, <laughs> that's, that's why you shouldn't. I mean, why, why you shouldn't well, is that you don't have a right to like the, well, I suppose. the, the what, material what, what, belongs to the standup stand up. And one of the rights under copyright is public performance. And another one is reproduction. And, and you, don't have the right to do those things but one of the main reasons that you might well so if you consider where the venues are and again we're going way off way off track here but when you're considering what sort of venues are aware this material is being tested where somebody might just decide to record it a lot of the time it might be somebody who's either directly or indirectly affiliated with the venue or the show who wants to show off that something cool happened at the show so i guess another way to say it is that like if you want to show off that a comedian a cool comedian did some cool stuff at your show by recording their set and like putting it online you should know that when they do it at clubs that are bigger than yours they mic the audience Right. And and so you should talk to the comic and make sure it's OK because they they own their material. Uh, and and then also you should you should uh, uh, bring it bring it up to spec. But anyway, anyway, that all notwithstanding, um, I might as well just say who the comedian was because I'm not trying to keep it secret. So so the sh- even though I didn't know who it was going into it. Right. Um, I went to go see. uh Oh, now I now I clicked away from it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, have to, you have to you have to have the the web page open. Kyle Canaan or Canaan, Kyle Canaan, who who was in uh, the show, the standups, um, and who is a standup who has been performing. He said he's been doing it for something like twenty two years, and so he seemed very experienced. And he was opened for by a guy by the name of Sam Talent, uh, who I think opens for him a lot. I suspect the two of them have some sort of podcast they do together because they said something and a bunch of people in the room clapped. And then they had a woman who was a friend of theirs who had been contacted 
the day before, much like I was, uh, to be like, hey, come in and do this thing. I think her name was Tara. Um, her name wasn't on any of the programs or literature. I didn't get a chance to see what it was, but she was very funny, too. Um, and Sam's set was short and very funny and super dark. And then Kyle's was funny and long, uh, but he was the one where certain parts of it kind of arced and didn't quite land. And what I would say was that he's very obviously a very kind of hardened professional, um, perhaps coming to that Stuart Lee-esque conclusion uh, is uh, of like, you know, don't laugh. I don't want don't clap. I don't want your applause is comes from that experience of being on the road for a long time and knowing when you've succeeded and when you failed uh, in a way that is kind of crushing and that you anticipate when it starts going wrong. But at any rate, the show was very professional. The set had a professional um, rhythm to it. It had a professional flow to it. It didn't seem underplanned. So it didn't seem rough or loose. Everything seemed like it had been practiced, but just not tested. So I guess there's a difference between because if you were an actor, Matt, right, if you were performing a play and you're rehearsing, you don't tend to rehearse in front of an audience. Right. Um, I mean, towards the end, you sort of do, though, though they are. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't you think like you get you get previews and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's true. Which that's are sort true. of I mean, they're paid, but they are rehearsals in front of an audience like you don't really know. You don't really know what it is until people see it. Like you have your ideas about what it is, but it's not actually the thing um, until that like that crucial partner is uh, is present. Yeah. Yeah. So so the way that Kyle Kinane expressed it when he was talking about the meta text of his show was that uh, was that the audience is the crucible that tests everything. And that's his sort of stand up ethos, which I think is a common ethos, but would be a different approach than say somebody like somebody doing something more theatrical. I mean, the person who comes to mind is Mike Birbiglia, but I don't know what Mike Birbiglia's process is directly, but I think of theatrical shows as not being as reliant on the specific response of the audience to specific choices and moments, you know, saying like, well, the audience didn't really seem to respond to that. So let's change how we're doing it. Um, you've been in the professional theater more than me. Is that something that happens? Do you yes. ever say like, man, this is this scene is really not getting the applause and claps and cheers we want from the audience. Should we change fundamentally like how you're considering? Your oh, hundred percent. You do that okay. during that. Okay. I mean, in in new plays, they do that all the time to the point of like it's it's almost a joke that you like get a new script every night and you have, you know, 30 minutes to learn it and then go on stage mm. with three hours of new, you know, three hours of new mat dramatic material. It's never that that big. But you can like in musicals, they add songs and like you get the song on the day and do it, mm. you know, and do it that night like that. Uh, that exists, but like in, in previews, yeah, it's definitely the case that like you change stuff pretty, pretty dramatically. Like you can't, you generally, if you're working on a play that's written, you can't change the words, but like you, you can change the tone or you can change the staging, you know, you can change how slowly or quickly you do something like the emphasis of particular things where people are standing on stage, like whether you're sitting or standing all, all you know, all things that are hugely consequential. And you do that up until, you know, quote unquote opening night, at which point it's it's said to be locked and you don't make you kind of maintain it as directed from from yeah. from that point on yeah and and so that would be because when i think about it i wonder is that from the people involved with the production watching it and making judgments based on their their experience and taste but it's also from the response of the audience is the audience 
Again, I, I think about times that I've been involved in workshops. The audience does offer feedback, right? Like, there are there mechanisms. And there, you know what? No, the uh, the audience's feedback would be useless. Like, if they were to fill out okay. comment, if they were to fill out comment cards filing out of the theater, they they would be useless because they they don't know how to. You know, it's it's the same thing as like the the you're a weird audience member, people, because you've done so much comedy, right? Like, right, and you've right. done it at all levels. You've done it as a performer. You've done it as a director. You've done it. You know, you've done it as a writer. Like at 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 every level. And so you understand the inputs and the outputs of that system. Um, 99.9% of people don't understand the inputs and outputs of that, of that system. And so like they will talk about an experience that they had, but they have no ability to diagnose what the inputs were that led to that experience. And so when you're dealing with audience, audience comments, you have to reverse engineer you know, have you ever, have you ever been in a talk back after a piece of yeah, live theater? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never regretted leaving one is what <laughs> I have to say about talk. I've never regretted leaving before the talk back. Um, is what I have to say about them, but I've been on, on both sides of them, both, you know, witnessing them and also being asked questions. And you know, the question that they ask is, how do you learn all of those lines? <laughs> Um, you know, how do you learn all of those lines? And, and the answer, of course, that you give them is you don't learn lines. You learn a structure of intentions that lead to certain words and actions. But, uh, I thought you meant I wear them on a sleeve that I get. (laughs) Like Marlon Brando. Like my, like, like my hero, Marlon Brando. I write them on little cards and I tape them up around the set so that they are, that they are spontaneous. And the three page speech that I did towards the, the, end of this French farce, it was actually projected on the back wall of the theater. And had you looked around, had yes. you just turned 180 degrees. No, but they're, they're actually, you know, David Mamet, who I have a, a kind of a love-hate relationship with his critical writing, um, is, um, and, and <laughs> I suppose his personality as well. But the, you know, he, uh, he said something in one, in one of his kind of musings on theater, which was that like, there are good, there are good and bad signs that you can get from an audience, right? So like, is the, like, is the second act curtain effective? Did they gasp? You know, mm. uh, and uh, he makes the point that a standing a standing ovation can be extorted from an audience, but a gasp cannot. Right. Right. And so, like, I think you have to look at you have to look at behavior and you have to look especially at spontaneous behavior. And you factor those things in when you're when you're uh, making those. I don't know when you're making those kinds of determinations in theater. I've, I've often thought, Pete, that stand up comics would do really well with th- that. They would do well with directors, you know, that mm-hmm. like, uh, the, to, to a certain extent, when you get good, like if you get good, if you have the longevity to like get your, get your hours in and get enough practice to get like really skilled at it, it's because you probably have an instinct for interpreting the responses of an audience and responding to them in some kind of effective way. You know, you probably have that innately and, you know, d- depends on the person, I suppose, to a greater or lesser extent, whether they are, um, conscious of that process but uh or have like uh, have theorized it in some way for themselves but i i just like you're never outside of yourself as a performer when you're when you're performing right and and especially when you're performing your own material and like i i don't know like to to i don't know the extent to which individual stand-ups work with a with a director but it seems like it would be so fruitful like uh, uh, maybe more to the people in 
in the Mike Birbiglia mold. Mike Birbiglia, though, is like it, it's um it's a little sneaky, right? Because you think it's just this story, you know, you think it, but if you, if you look at it like moment to moment, it's actually tight. It's like punchline, 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 you know, new premise, punchline, 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 punchline. Like that, that stuff is, is sharpened pretty sharp. Um, you know, pretty honed in those like, uh, the the shows that he does where he tells a story like the one about sleepwalking or the one about his kid or something uh, you know all all of those anyway I, I i like what he does um but yeah but that i, I don't know that I'm, I'm not sure where we've where we've ended up i'm and we're near pete the end of of uh our our allotted time but uh, that's my time folks thanks very much <laughs> but um but pete uh i i still i still don't know did you get dinner did okay. you eat dinner so now we get to the actual topic of the podcast oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, now here at the end we can finally talk about it which was i at the end of the show right so i went to see the show it was it was supposed to be a group of three mutual friends all going together one of them dropped out so i ended up going and i was friends with one of the people but i just met the other person for the first time right and he had to go back to his wife um me and the guy who were left we both have young kids the idea that we were out in the town was a pretty freaking big deal right so we're like we don't want to go home right. yet and of course the other guy wanted to get a drink because he'd already had dinner and i wanted to get food because i hadn't had food yet and so we're walking around the city and i was struck with uh, just utter frustration confusion indecision lack of ideas of where to go such that i could get food and he could get a drink and this wasn't even that late. It was like nine o'clock, right? Uh, no reservation, no plans in in a downtown of a, if not a major city, then the uh, undersized hub of a major metropolitan area, yeah. right? Um, and uh, and so we went to one place, which seemed the obvious place, but they had a long wait and it was packed. And they also were saying every, and there were big signs about masks all over the place. And it just it it seemed like now nah, I don't want to I don't want to wait. Right. I don't want to wait for our lives to be over. I want to know right now. What can I eat? Um, but yes, also we're like, oh, we could do better than this. Right. And then we go to another place. So that's a bar that has no food. Right. Oh, look, those places we thought were here are closed. Oh, no, these are the dead spots where we're walking and there's no places. Right. And it just gets to the point of like, do we go this way and do we go that way? And I think of all of the times in my life, so many times where it's been, do I go this way or do we go that way on a city street with the objective of finding some sort of thing that anybody in any of these businesses should be happy to exchange for money, right? Like there's no shortage of places selling food and booze in any of these cities. Why is it tough, right? And it's like, well, I'm not really on my phone looking at places, but also that information doesn't seem useful for what I need right now, which is where can I walk up to with no plan and just go in, Right. Um, and also, how can I try to make this look casual and look like I'm self-possessed when, you know, it, it is a it is a measure of your social facility when you're younger than me, not young, but younger than me, that you can walk around a city with ease as if, you know, you as if you live there. Right. Perhaps you do live there. Maybe that's the big difference. Right. And say, oh, this is the place to do this and this is the place to do that. And there's a certain confidence that that is associated with that that's either faked or maked. Right. Um, I hadn't been in the city in two years for this purpose. Right. Like I 
Didn't know it was still around. I This wasn't even the part of the city I'd ever hung out in. This was nowhere near where I'd ever lived, right? It was between the two places that I'd worked at and it was in sort of a dead spot of my familiarity of this sort of thing. If we were looking for lunch, I would have had a bunch of ideas, but I was I was stuck. I had nothing to suggest. And and so the other person, of course, didn't have anything to suggest either, but he was much better at, at, at uh, either not being anxious or pretending to not be anxious than I was. And so I started panicking a little bit. Right. And I, and I said, you know, I and I chalked it up to, oh, you know, this is so weird. I haven't been out in so long. And I wonder how many times I'm going to say that. Right. I have I, for how long. Right. How for how long will I blame the dislocation of the championship season for being unable to make basic decisions that at the same time were always needlessly confusing and confounding, such as like, do we walk left or right to in order to find a place that will give us each in this group what we each want. Yeah. And also, should I should I instead sacrifice what I want to look confident in pursuing what the other person wants, right? Should I say, well, if I think to myself, I know where we can get a drink, but I don't know where we can get food. And I know where we get food, but we don't know where we can get a drink. So let's just get the drink and I just won't eat. Well, 9 and that way at least I look I look like I'm put together. 9 right? p.m. in Boston. Yeah, 9 p.m. in Boston. It's not a late night town in general, no. right? Like, no. but do, Especially under plague conditions. So I said, okay. is this I, – I, I say this not to be flippant. This is not a flippant question. But did it, did it occur to you to yelp for it? <laughs> no. Why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Those things have become so useless to me. Uh, I, I think the last time that I, I or used open table or something, uh -huh. the number of promoted entries has totally annihilated the usefulness. Oh, of the sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, if you're looking for someone, somewhere to go to a restaurant in the future, but like, I don't know, like what is open right now in this neighborhood is a, is a, is a question that one app can answer. Like not, that's you know, true. like, well, okay, so, you know, so, it's possible that my it's it's likely that my experience I actually did it I because I got into Boston late the other you know the uh, two weeks ago last week the week before something like that and I had this thing it was like around it was coming up on nine and I I just instinctively knew that nine o'clock would be some sort of cutoff and so like I was walking for a place and like I wanted a full bar and uh, and a kitchen that was open and like I was using Yelp and I ended up going like two neighborhoods I ended up going like a fifteen minute walk to uh, to do it. Um, I, you know, I was in a similar, similar situation. Now I didn't have another person to, I feel yeah. like the, the presence... 15 minute walk would have been a problem. I mean, I, if I was allowed to do a 15 minute walk, we would have been fine. Yeah. Right. But I didn't allow myself that because uh. I wanted to feign that confidence. But I hear what you're saying. I will add that, that it, that occurs to me that my negative opinion of Yelp might be from trying to use it near where I live. Huh? To try to find a place that's open because then you get four or five recommendations right at the top that are all in the seaport, which is, of course, 22 miles away. Right. Um, and so, OK, <laughs> the, the, the degree to which you are callously useless to me is offensive. Yeah. Right? Like it's you know, this isn't even the same metro area at this point. Right. Like you're just you're so distant from me. And, and but but it serves me. Well, I was actually in the middle of the city, so it would have been a lot more useful and I should have done it. Um, the point is that we got tacos. And uh, and it was great. Yeah, I never it. a bad, never a bad option. I feel like at that point you you uh, you split up the dinner, you split up the dinner drinks portion, right? Because like you're gonna be better at a at a street cart 
serving tacos and yeah. uh and then like sliding into uh you know i don't know sliding into an open bar or any anywhere you see that's that's you know yeah. got some taps there i i am very grateful to my friend that he was willing to sacrifice his drink and instead go with chips and queso uh, which the way he said it made me feel like he really did want chips and queso but then again who does not right yeah what, at any given moment want chips and queso I, what you know um, there's never a bad time for chips and queso <laughs> Not, not even in the depths of a plague. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Pete, I'm, I'm glad to know that no matter how much is different, some things never change. Yeah. My, yeah. my favorite Cormac McCarthy book is The Queso. It's- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I like blood enchilada. That's yeah. – uh- <laughs> Um, well, that's, uh, that's, I'm, I'm glad you made it up, Pete. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad culture is heal- healing. It makes me, ha- it makes me yeah, happy yeah. that you had a good, had a good night. Um, it was nice. well, uh, I'm curious if anyone else has had, uh, has had any, um, any experiences going out. You can leave a, a, a note in the comments or, uh, join our discord. We, I, I don't know. I have fun on the, I was about to say we have fun on the discord and it, it struck me. I shouldn't be so prom- presumptuous as, as to speak for you. Pete, do you have fun on the discord? I do. I yeah. feel like I like I like the Discord a lot. It's fun. I do too. It's uh, yeah. We probably did it. To, you know, probably could have done it earlier. But I'm glad. I'm glad we have it now, and like we're having fun talking about things. And so uh, we have. My, we have can a, I just make one plug? Oh yeah. I think my, my two favorite parts of the Discord. Oh yeah. Other than that, there is a whole thread about talking about Stanley Tucci's uh, uh, searching for Italy. Oh god. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid of spoilers, <laughs> though. I haven't read that thread. Yeah, I'm afraid don't, of don't spoilers. Go into it if you don't want spoilers. Spoilers. Italy, Sicily is a place in Italy, sort of. <laughs> uh, but no, that we, we have a thread on uh, cultural artifacts where people post pictures of outdated technology and foodstuffs that they come across, which is a lot of fun. And then there is, of course, a thread on terrible toddler television for those of us with very young kids, uh, and especially the Kafka-esque nightmare of uh, seemingly procedurally generated uh, children-oriented YouTube videos. So uh, those are just two of the quirky quirky things you will find. Uh, you seem to be killing it on the Internet is for Pet Picks thread. Oh uh-huh. yeah, well, I mean, Gus is. I mean, just wait till you see his Halloween costume. Just, yeah. You know. Oh, I'm I'm waiting with bated breath. I yeah, hope I've been. I, I, you know, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that that we had a uh, just last year around this time. It was like the, perhaps the the source, the biggest source of contention in our relationship. I felt like the dignity of the dog, the dignity of the Basset Hound, precluded him. Uh, being dressed up in little costumes, but he's just so cute in his, <laughs> in his little costume. So, you know, you just wait, join, join now and be ready, um, for the, uh, be ready for the, the Basset Hound, uh, the just onslaught of Basset Hound costume picks that are, that are coming your way. Anyway, so, uh, and also, um, we have a channel where we talk about the, the podcast and, and, uh, mm. so I want to, I want to hear, um, there if people have been out, if you've done anything, like what the experience was like and how the kind of the, the experience, the just logistical and, and sort of experience parts of like doing dinner in a movie or dinner in a show or something like that, how that is, uh, um, affected by the, the circumstances we find ourselves in given the circumstances of, of this championship season. All right. Uh, thanks very much, Pete. As always, it's, uh, it's nice when we can do a story two hander. I feel like we, we can check in together and, yeah. uh, and thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with more overthinking a podcast till then go support live arts. Go, you know, give your money to live profile. No, I, you know, you do what you're comfortable with doing and that's, yeah. uh, that's going to be great. 
but we'll be back for you next week. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. Hey, Matt, do you think fear is the mind killer? Hmm. I read that somewhere and I was wondering if it was true. Yeah. It's, uh, I definitely say it's, um, it's like, uh, like a small version of annihilation, you know, that, mm. that prefigures a, a more total, a more, you know, thoroughgoing annihilation. So huh. if you kind of let it pass through you, you face it, you let it pass through you, and then only you remain once it's gone. Is that the idea? Uh, I guess that I agree. If anybody has any books or films that might have come out that address these topics that we could watch at some point and maybe podcast about it, please uh, drop by the Discord to let us know or let us know in the comments because it's a really compelling idea, and I've just never heard anyone discuss it before. I don't, I don't think it's ever really been committed to paper or the screen. Uh-huh.